this is what I want to prime us all with this morning, this question. Um, as we go through life, what do we fill our minds with? So before I say anything else, I just want you to you know, use that to kind of frame, start pondering, start gestating, start meditating almost um, on that question. So um, as Dan said, my name is Phil. I've been around for five, six years now. Normally in the mornings, I'm hiding up in the corner over there um, in the kind of prayer and quiet space, which is why I guess I got typecast to do this message. Um, and, and also everyone else is away. But um, um, yeah, so we're in the middle of a series uh, called, well, Spiritual Disciplines. And it's all about the things that we should be doing or can be doing as Christians to kind of live out our faith. How do we become more Christ-like? And as Steve often puts, how do we become the best version of ourselves that we can be? Um, we've looked at things like singing, confession, um, and a whole bunch of other areas. We've got a few more coming up. Um, if you're interested in what's coming up, just look through the content page of this book, Celebration of Discipline, by Richard Foster, because that's what we're working through, and I'll, I'll mention that at the end. Um, and this morning, what we're going to look at is meditation. Um, the, one of the titles, I think, Steve last week said I was going to look at prayer, meditation, and solitude. We're going to cover those three. You'd probably be looking at a three-hour sermon, unfortunately. So instead, uh, I'm going to focus it particularly on meditation, but in the broadest sense of the word. And what I'm going to look at, hopefully, is going to say we're going to look at what on earth meditation is. And hopefully I'm going to blur away a bunch of uh, misconceptions about what it is, because I think that's one of the reasons why we find it such a strange word or don't know what on earth it is and if we should be doing it. Then I'm going to have a look at just two, season, two reasons the Bible talks about why should we meditate. So what is it? And we're going to look at, I'm going to give you two reasons why the Bible says we should meditate and what it brings us in our lives. And then lastly, I'm going to do this, hopefully in a bit of depth, to look at how. Um, if I'm honest, one of the frustrations uh, with sometimes how we have done this series is we've been really good at telling us, here's a discipline you can do, um, and here's why you should do it. And then maybe too often leaving it there without getting on to the, but how do we do it? You know, I live my life like this, my life is busy, my life is uh, tiring, my life is X, Y, and Z, but I don't know how I can do these things. It sounds appealing, but how on earth will that look like for me practically? So the last section, I'm going to go through about seven or eight things from personal experience and kind of from Christian tradition about how people meditate. What does that look like? How can, what tools can you use depending on what kind of person you are, how much time you have, and what that might look like for you personally? Right, so we're going to kick off with what is meditation. So if we can flick to the first slide. Now this is the problem, right? So I uh, quick Googled uh, when I was preparing, I was meditation and images, and basically every image came up like this. So if we're going to take this as our message, uh, what we need to do to meditate is we need to find a beach, ideally. Uh, we need to be on our own, but someone to take a picture of us, otherwise how will they know we were meditating? Um, we need to sit down and we need to do this, for whatever reason. Um, and the problem is that just looks a bit strange for a lot of us. None of us have any time to get to a beach most of the time. If we do, we're probably not going to use our time doing that. Um, and it helps to be silhouetted, obviously, as well. Um, and that's the problem. We think of meditation as this really odd thing that maybe like uh, the really, really devout people in various religions do. Kind of they sit there for hours in silence, not doing anything, unusual poses and kind of things we don't normally do. And we think, why? Well, I've got time to meditate. That just looks weird. I don't understand what that is. Um, and I think that from, from my point of view, when you use the word meditation, because of that's what comes to mind, that's why we think, that's just strange. I'm not going to do that. I don't have time to do that. 
So instead, let's actually have a look at what it means by kind of Christian meditation and what the Bible talks about. So I've had a look at a few definitions, um, as all good preachers should begin with. Um, so the first one, had a quick look at dictionary, always helps. So apparently it comes from the word meditari, which from the Latin, which simply means to think over and consider. And actually, when we look in the Bible itself, when we look in the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's actually a very, very similar concept that's being used. Interestingly, in the Old Testament, the word meditate is only used in most translations about 20 to 25 times, depending on your translation. And in the New Testament, it's not actually used at all, the word meditate. It's used once in one translation of Luke, meaning something a little bit different to what we're talking about. But across all those kind of... Uh, uh, the one there I've pulled out is, is from the New Testament, rather, is what um, the reading Kessel read from Philippians, where Paul talks to the Philippi church and says, think about these things. And we're going to come on to that later. So that's that, that Greek word, uh, logizomai. Um, and that one means to think, to reckon, to encounter, and to impute, which kind of means to take on from external places. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is hagar, which again means all sorts of things. Uh, it's translated as different things as well as meditate, which can mean to speak, to mourn. Um, to imagine, to study, and to mutter. Um, and what I think is really interesting is even throughout, obviously, inside the Bible and outside the Bible, it doesn't mean that picture. It doesn't mean hours and hours of solitude. All it means is to engage. It means to think about. It means to mull over. Um, it means to really, really grapple with. And I think it's really interesting. Um, Psalm 1, which Kessler also read to us, um, which uh, is a really famous psalm, because um, it starts psalm, so it's read most often before you get bored. And then also, um, it uses the word meditate, so it's a kind of go-to passage on meditation. But what it says is he meditates, he or she is, who's being talked about, meditates on the Lord day and night. Now again, if we think of meditation as hours and hours of silence and solitude and, um, and that kind of, quote, meditation, then there's no way that person can do it day and night. Because what the psalm also talks about is everything that person does kind of prospers. Everything they do, they bear fruit in season. So clearly that person is a regular person. They're doing things. They have a job. They have a family. They have activities they're doing in life which are going well. So clearly it's getting at something else. And from that passage, what I suggest is what it's getting at. It's getting at someone saying, having decided to follow you, God, I'm going to grapple. I'm going to engage. I'm going to fill myself Think through, understand, fight the things you say in your word, the things you say to me about myself, who I am, what I'm going to do in life. And you're saying, this is part of just the way I do life. I'm always looking, how can I apply what you say to me? And that's what it means by doing day and night. So again, just coming back to this notion, meditation, Christian meditation is not that, uh, necessarily that long, dull process of solitude necessarily. It can be that, but it's not necessarily that. It's just a simple process of engaging, of grappling, of understanding, of thinking through what it is God is going to say to us. Again, it's often uh, used the uh, example when we go through uh, this kind of topic is people say, oh, Jesus went away to pray, for, pray in the morning for hours before people got up. Or before he went to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, he went away to pray. And although the word pray is used in those passages, that's how it's translated, I kind of want to suggest that I don't suggest he probably was praying, again, in that sense of saying things and maybe hearing things back in a conversation. But probably I would suggest what he was doing was, again, just meditating. He was engaging like he did um, when he was tempted in the desert, when he, brought, when he brought to mind scriptures. He was thinking, he was meditating, he was going through, he was engaging with the scriptures. He was bringing the truths that he had held true to his life and saying, this is how I'm going to react. 
So I suggest when he was going through those difficult times, yes, I'm sure he was praying in the sense of speaking, saying things to his father, but I'm suggesting he was also there just going over the truth, going over the truth, reminding himself of who he was, what he was going to do, what God, his father, was saying about him. So the first thing really I'd love uh, you to take away this morning is simply that when we talk about meditation and Christians meditating, there is nothing quirky, strange, or weird about it. You can do it in more in-depth ways. You can do it in very light ways, some of which we'll cover at the end, like I said. But the idea is for a Christian to meditate is just to grapple, to engage, to fight with, to understand, to apply, to try and get to grips with what is God saying about them and to more and more embed it into how they live their life and how they see themselves and those around them. So that's kind of the what I want to run through. And now kind of just want to move on to the, the why. So again, there's many, many reasons why um, uh, the Bible talks about meditating, but I want to talk about two. Um, the first one is being filled with peace. I should say to be filled with peace rather than the be filled with peace. Um, and this one's quite personal to me in some ways. I'm sure many of us here either know personally or know from friends and family that in our kind of culture at the moment, things like anxiety and depression are becoming more and more uh, common and all, all too common. Um, and for me personally, uh, through my kind of late teens and early 20s, I struggled pretty badly with both kind of anxiety and depression. And a lot of kind of are common to some of my personal stories and some of the scriptures uh, we're going to talk about are ones that I used to kind of meditate on and engage with to try and kind of control and harness some of those thoughts. Things that I grew up with that passed down from my dad to try and cope uh, with some of the things I had to battle through. Um, and so it's very personal to me, this idea of peace. And actually, if you, know, you ever have spoken to me or come to pray with me up in that corner, one thing I will always, always do is pray for peace. In whatever situation, over you, over your friends, your family, people involved, I will always pray for peace. It's very, very personal to me. Um, but what I also love is that I, from my point of view, the Bible is actually quite clear about how this peace comes about. And again, there are three ways I think that the Bible is clear. And I want to kind of read some scripture again, because... Part of meditating is just simply listening and, and, and bringing things into our mindsets. So I want to read a bit again of that Philippians uh, 4 that Kessler uh, read to us earlier. Um, if you want to look at it, it's page 1180 on, on the Bibles. And it's Philippians 4, uh, verse 4 onwards, and it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. What really uh, has struck me recently about that passage is uh, that on two occasions, um, when Paul, uh, his overall context here, he starts by saying, not being anxious. He talks about thanksgiving. He talks about thanksgiving in every situation. And for me, it really underlines the value of gratitude and being, thank- and being thankful and the power that can have kind of over our mindsets. And this isn't new to me because, again, uh, one of my old counselors used to tell me that gratitude in, in and of itself is one of those powerful factors in our mental well-being. Um, I was doing a little bit of research 
And there's a, a series of studies done by Stanford University in, I think it was about 20, 2010, 2011, I can't remember exactly. And what they did was they took three, well, they took a set of people in their study, and they split them into three groups. And the first group, they said, right, we just want you to live your life, you know, as normal. And the second group, they said, right, every day, at the end of the day, we want you just to write down some things about your day. doesn't matter what it is, just kind of make a note of it. And the third group, as you can imagine where this is going, they asked them every day, at the end of the day, write down some things you're grateful for about today. And they kind of did that for a couple of months. And in those three months, they did kind of some uh, tests and asked some questions to those people. And the group which... Um, when the gratitude group, the people which were just reminded to have that discipline of remembering good things that happen, had far greater kind of well-being and happiness in their lives. And again, these weren't different groups of people. It wasn't that different things happened to them. But there was something about that mindset of gratitude, that mindset of thankfulness, that changed how they interacted with what was going on in their lives. Something that reminded them and filled them with a the peace. And from my point of view, that's kind of what God, what Paul, sorry, is talking about. Uh, when he encouraged us to pray in all situations, in all situations, whether good or bad, including some element of thanksgiving. So that's the first one in terms of how I think when we meditate we, and pray, we, we um, are, can be filled with peace, is when we focus as a disciplined uh, manner on, on gratitude. Second one I want to talk about, which again is, is very uh, personal to me. This is the one I've probably uh, thought about, prayed over, meditated over hundreds of times um, throughout my life. Um, it's from Psalm 131, and from my point of view, it's about meditating on kind of humility and who we are and who God is. And Psalm 131 says this, it says, My heart is not proud, my eyes are not arrogant, I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me, but I have calmed and quietened myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, both now and forever. And I remember very clearly when uh, my dad first kind of gave me this passage. And I didn't know what weaned meant, so he told me what weaned meant. And he told me that a weaned child is a child which no longer comes to their parent for food, no longer comes for milk, but simply comes to be. They're not looking for something else. Um, They're just coming to be a child with their parent. They're just coming to kind of feel that security, to feel that I am not and you are. It's that be still and know that I am God, which the Bible says says elsewhere. And for me, that's a real go-to passage, partly because um, it's it's a wonderfully short psalm, so it's easy to read over. It's easy to say kind of to yourself in your head or out loud over and over again. Um, gently and just think, bringing yourself to that image of being a wean child, being someone who's just coming to God as a child of God, not asking for answers, not asking for provision, not asking for anything on this occasion, but just being, just sitting, just being a child, being knowing you're not in control, knowing that someone else is. And for me, that's, that's incredibly powerful. And I think also, we going back to the Philippians one I read, when Paul talks later in that passage about the peace that passes understanding. Again, I find this a fascinating um, phrase. Um, and again, uh, for me, it's about humility because I think it's easy. Um, if you use the example of some of you may know, in the book of Romans, Paul uh, talks about us being more than conquerors. And I think it's easy when we think of that passage, for example, to think what he's saying is we're like super conquerors. So, like we're so strong that absolutely no one can beat us. But in that passage, what Paul is actually saying is that we're just different to conquerors. We're people that lay down our lives 
because the problem for conquerors is that conquerors can be conquered. You may be strong for a while, but someone's going to come back and be stronger than you. So you need to be more than a conqueror. You need to be someone that lays down their life. It's a complete category change. And for me, it's exactly the same what Paul's saying here. When he says that peace that passes understanding, he's not talking about a transcendent understanding where it means I just understand everything. Like I'm going beyond human reason. I just comprehend on some transcendent level. What I think he's saying is that there's, a tran- there's another category. There's a, there's a category God offers to say, I can just say I don't understand. That's what God's offering. God's offering a chance to say, trust that I am God. Lay down your, you, you have the offer, it's not easily done. You have the offer to lay down your need to understand your situation, to understand what's happening. You're given the chance to say, you know what, I don't understand and that's okay because God does and I trust God. So it's a whole category shift and again it's that theme of humility. It's being able to say, I can't understand, I'm not to understand, I can't possibly have the ability to understand. But I can accept that. I can accept God's offer of peace through saying, I don't understand, and that's the way it is. So that's meditation on gratitude, that's meditation humility, and the last thing I want to touch upon is meditating on resurrection that I've talked about. In John uh, 14, 27, before Jesus dies, he says to his disciples, the peace I will give to you is a peace that the world cannot give. That's what he says. And actually, if you think about humility and you think about gratitude, those are two ways of finding peace, of meditating on something that if you really wanted to, and you could, you could find that without being a Christian. You could be grateful to your friends, your family. You could be grateful to a number of people in the world. You could be great to, uh, grateful just to some ethereal, um, different philosophy of life. And again, with humility, you could look at the expanse of the world. You could look at the expanse of the universe, and you could feel humble about that. And you could get a source of peace uh, from those two. But the peace that comes from the resurrection is, like Jesus said, it's something the world cannot give alone. Because the first things that Jesus said to his disciples when he came back to life and appeared to them, every single time he said, peace be with you. Now, I'm sure part of that is because they were totally freaked out of seeing someone alive. I'm sure that's definitely the case. But I don't wonder that part of what it is as well Feel, feel free. <laughs> um, I, asked, I don't wonder if what he's getting at is saying, hey, look, I've just beaten death. No one else has done this. I'm the only one that can do this. I've just beaten death. And, train of thought, and um, that's something the world cannot give. And I don't think it's a surprise that as history records, all of his, those immediate disciples, and I'm sure countless more immediately afterwards as well, all lost their lives, all gave up their lives in proclaiming him and his good news. And you've got to ask the question, why is that? What is it that, that enabled them to have so much peace about giving up their lives? And I would suggest it's because they could always go back, remember, engage, meditate on the fact that they saw Jesus alive again after death. So death, that greatest fear, suffering, that greatest fear, was no longer a problem. Well, it was distant, I'm sure it was still difficult, but it was no longer the be-all and end-all. Um, it had been defeated. They knew there was hope beyond death. And that's a source of peace, I would suggest, which is, is probably the hardest to find, because when things are difficult, when we're suffering, when we're faced with death, there's no way of not making that hard for us. 
But in the resurrection, when we think about the resurrection, when we think about Jesus saying, I will offer you a peace the world cannot give, I would suggest part of what that is, is a resurrection peace. To say death is no longer the end, suffering is no longer the end. There is hope for us no matter what. So that's in terms of peace. So why meditate to be filled with peace? Meditate on gratitude, what you're thankful for. Meditate on humility, knowing who you are before God and who we are not. And med- meditate on resurrection, knowing that death and suffering is not the end, it's been beaten. And the second thing I want to touch upon is, the Bible talks about a lot, is to be filled with truth. So I need to get a cup because my thing has malfunctioned slightly. Um, so bear with me. Oh, some there. Um, very crudely speaking, uh, when we're, again, meditation, the broadest sense of the word, um, can be kind of categorized in, in two ways, really. One, um, so imagine this is, this is your mind. Hopefully you can see this from here. I thought of this last night. We'll see how it works. Um, this is your mind. And when we go through life, we get filled up with thoughts, with ideas, with worldviews, with experiences, with attitudes. Um, and it fills us up. And one, every now and then, we just, it's just it's cluttered. We need to empty it. Um, and some kind of meditation uh, is just about emptying your mind. It's about emptying your mind. So once again, you feel clear, you feel empty, you feel, uh, you feel ready to, to go again. But the problem with that, obviously, is that all that happens again is life comes along again and just fills you again. And suddenly again, you feel exactly the same, you feel weighed down, you feel full, and you have to do it again. But the other kind of meditation, which is a Christian meditation, is to be filled. It's to be refilled again. So these two passages I pulled out there, um, one Proverbs 4.23, which is just a, a beautiful little proverb, which simply says this, above all else, guard your heart from everything flows from it. And it's about saying you need to be careful, it's that question I kind of pose us right at the start, what is going into our minds? What's, what are our minds being filled with? How are we kind of controlling that, how are we affecting the thoughts and attitudes, the views, the ideals that are going into our minds. And again, uh, in Romans, Paul talks about having our minds renewed, and when our minds are renewed, we'll know uh, God's will in our lives and know how to behave. And so this is the second part of meditation, which is Christian meditation, where we actually fill our minds. So here's our meditation. Um, Robinson's hide uh, real fruit in every drop, apparently. Um, so this is our wonderful imagery. So um, I feel like a bit on Blue Peter right now. Um, so when we meditate, we fill our minds. There's something already there. And so what then happens is life doesn't stop. It's not that nothing comes into our minds anymore. But then when we fill our minds, because we're mixing it with other things, it actually totally affects how we then engage with those thoughts and those ideas. It changes how, whether we accept and reject things. It makes us mindful of actually that's not an attitude, that's not an idea that I want to bring on into, my, into my, um, the way I do life. But of course, again, life moves on, new things happen. And unless we meditate and consider again, the same thing will happen. We'll just be completely colored by the world around us. So again, meditation is kind of not a one-off thing. We must meditate again, 
bring back those things of God, bring back those things of gratitude, humility, resurrection, which again colour how we're experiencing our world. And it also works as a handy way to take a drink mid-sermon. Meditation tastes good. Right. Um, so, again. And uh, what's really interesting, actually, when I was thinking about this, I had a conversation at work a couple of weeks ago with, uh, we have a, a designer who works with us. And he's doing his dissertation. It's really interesting. And he's doing his dissertation on how brands, so company brands, how they sell an ideology to us. And I, you know, when he said it, I just thought it was kind of marketing mumbo-jumbo. And then we, and he got me to fill in this little questionnaire, which asked all sort of things about, like, um, what's more important in a product? Is it the idea that product represents, or is it the product itself? And I started doing these really surface-level answers. And he started talking to me, and I was like, well, is that actually true? Like, when you think of, um, I mean, he was obviously using some big, big brands like Nike and, and Jack Daniels, I think some of the ones he was looking at. I'm not advertising either of those two. Um, but he was saying, actually, when you think about them, something does come to mind, and often it's a lifestyle. Often it's ideology about who you are and what your role is in life. And it really struck me that that is really true. That actually, not only are kind of companies and brands kind of advertising to us their products, but actually, as kind of Harry, this designer guy, was telling me, what they're also trying to do, because they know it works, is sell you on an ideology, sell you on an idea, sell you on a way of life, sell you on a way of saying, if you have this, this is the kind of person you're going to be. This is the kind of person you can become. And it just really hit me um, in this area of how subtle it is that the ways of the world bring in new things to our, our lives, the ways of seeing each other, ways of seeing ourselves. You know, and it's such a battle, um, especially something like, uh, you know, our identity. Who are we? What do we find value? We do uh, greater talking a lot about that in this church, like how valuable we are, how loved we are, just as we are. Um, I remember at university, uh, where more, maybe even more so than the rest of life, kind of body image is, is a huge, uh, huge thing. And some of my friends, uh, they used to write scriptures around their mirrors about how valued they were. Um, and I just thought it was, it was brilliant because what they were doing was making sure that when they looked in the mirror and it kind of triggered in those kind of societal messages about you're too this, you're not enough that, they had something else to meditate on as they were you know, getting ready in the morning or whatever. They had something else to think, no, that's not true. I'm not going to focus on that. I'm going to focus on what the Bible says, what God says about me. And again, it's just about protecting our minds, about renewing our minds, about making sure we think and engage and meditate on the right things and we're not simply beholden to the messages that kind of society is throwing at us. So that's all I want to kind of really say in terms of the what and the how, or what and the why, sorry. So it's, it's simply about engaging, it's simply about grappling, it's simply about thinking. And in terms of why we do that, one, in terms of to be filled with peace, and two, to kind of have our minds kind of renewed, refilled, refreshed with really positive things that God says about us rather than the other things in the world which are coming in. So I want to close now by talking really about the practicalities of how. So the first slide I just want to say is um, some of my uh, background, as I mention every now and then, um, if I'm talking up front, is in psychology. And there are, in terms of how we change our behavior, it's, it's very, very complicated. But in simple terms, there are three reasons why we might change. So if you've had anything this morning or generally know, you know what, that's something I should do more, but I find hard. Here's three things to kind of bear in mind. In order to really change your behavior, you need to want to do something, so you need to be motivated, you need to know the why, 
You need to have the ability to do it, which hopefully I'll give you a few more ideas, have the ability to do it in a minute. And more importantly, you have to have an encouraging culture around you to encourage that behavior. If you try and do this on your own, we all know how hard that is. So just before I caveat all these things, there's something you think, you know what, that's a really good idea, I might try that. Then I encourage you to tell your partner, tell your friend, tell your parents, tell whoever it is and say, can you help me do this? Can you remind me? Can you encourage me? Will you do it with me? That's probably the only way you're going to be able to come to terms with some of this stuff. And then the next thing, just a fundamental. So in terms of meditation, what I've said is there's one fundamental and many options. And one fundamental thing is this. Meditate and focus on something and make it one thing. So one of the big other problems in meditation is we, again, is we think it's about emptying our minds. It's not. Forget that. It's nothing to emptying your mind. It's about filling your mind. So when you're going to be thinking, oh, you know, I want to meditate on something, or I, you know, I want to think about something, then have a thing, whether it's God's love or you're thankful for this or how frustrated you are at this um, or whether it's uh, the cross we, you know, when we do communion later. Focus on one particular thing. And do your best to shut everything else out. That's why you do get those images we had earlier, which has some kind of slight ring of truth in a sense of it's about, um, it helps sometimes to take yourself away from other distractions, kind of turn your phone off. For some people, it helps to be alone. For other people, it doesn't. But having only one thing, it's very difficult to meditate and do any kind of study or thinking while, for example, you've got other kind of music on. That can be very difficult because already you've got multiple things coming in. So that one fundamental and all these things uh, focus on something and focus on one thing. So quickly, I'm going to run through nine fundamental or uh, one nine options that you can kind of live out that fundamental. So this is my registered trademark. For someone that loves the Bible as much as I do, I absolutely hate Bible study. I think it's the biggest waste of time in the world. Um, and before we get kicked out of the A again, let me explain what I mean. So... <laughs> uh, for me, too often, Bible study is just too surface level. It's too comprehension. It's in verse 4. What does Paul say? No one cares. So, that's not strictly true, but you know what I'm saying. Um, it doesn't get us anywhere. So, I have coined this wonderful phrase to quit Bible study. What quit Bible study means, and we do it in my home group, when you read, you read a passage, read a passage fresh, and when you're reading it, have a little bit of paper with a Q, which stands for questions. I haven't worked out what the U stands for. Um, I which stands for interest, and T, which stands for trouble. So when you read it and you think, that's strange, I don't know what that means, write it down. That's your questions. And when you read it and you think, oh, you know, I've never noticed that before. I never noticed that that, that said before that. Then your interest, write down your interests. And then probably most importantly, when you read something and say, I just don't think that's true because I've tried it or this or that. And they're your troubles. And that's how, from my point of view, that's how I... Um, and when we do it in, in our little home group, that's how we do Bible study. We start with the honest answers of like, what do we really think when we come to this passage? Not necessarily the right answers straight away, but these things which really get us to come to grips with like, what is this saying and what do we really react to this? Start to engage, grapple, meditate on it. So that's the first one I want to suggest is when you do look at the Bible, which I encourage you definitely to do, try and do it in a very honest, open way, especially the stuff you don't like. So stuff you don't like, when you then grapple with that, kind of hopefully can lead you into what it actually might be saying. Second one, just want to quickly uh, kick away the idea that you have to meditate on your own. Do it in group exercises. Um, last week and or a couple of weeks ago in home group, I had this idea just because uh, we were singing in church a few weeks ago, song we often do, How Great Is Our God, and I started thinking, 
Is God really all that great? You know, it sounds like a really horrible thing to say. But I thought, I've never really, if someone asked me to write a list of why God is great, I wouldn't, I don't know what that list looks like. I just sing it. That's what we do. God is great. And so we did a little meditation. We went through and we wrote a list and we said together, why do we think God is great? And then we also did why we don't think God is very great. And that was a meditation. That was, we were engaging with the truth that God is great and grappling with it. Why is God great? And it was really interesting. We had all different perspectives and it was really kind of positive meditation for us. Third one, quickly, a guided meditation. So again, you don't have to make it up yourself. Like just go on YouTube, put in guided meditation. How much time you've got, you'll have someone giving you things to think about, some you know, nice music in the background if you want that kind of thing. Um, you don't have to make it up on your own. You don't have to sit in a room with absolutely nothing. Give you something already prepared to stimulate. Uh, fourth one, prayer beads. Very strange little things. Um, I've got some here, and there's a picture next. So um, I came across these. I don't use them very often, but I came across these uh, through a blog I read. of someone, who, not who's super holy, someone that found it really hard to pray and meditate. And they said this was really, really useful for them. So what a prayer bead is... Um, you have that first, I mean, these are all kind of technical terms. It doesn't really matter too much. But you have that first bead. And you say, for example, let's say we're doing a Thanksgiving uh, meditation. You hold that first bead. Um, and you might say something like, oh, you, you say to yourself, you hold it with your hand. And you say, our Father in heaven. That's just what you say. And pause for a minute. And then that first one, um, which is at the, the, on, the, on the bottom, the first one, the, the top one, as it were, of that two you might say something like, just simply thank you, Father. And then as you move round uh, the bead, each time you hold a new bead, you just thank him for something. You know, thank you for my kids. Thank you for creation. And you just go through really simply. And then when you hit one of the big beads, you just go back to that first one and you just say, thank you, Father. And it's such a simple, and you can do it on anything. Um, you can go through Lord's Prayer on it. You can do anything. Um, and it's a really, really simple way if you find it hard just to sit there um, and work out what on earth you're going to think about, it's a really, really easy way to help yourself, guide yourself through something. Third one, um, really simply, if you're, you know, if you're a writer, I have uh, restarted my journal in response to some of this stuff. If we get back to our list, just write it down. Um, start talking about your thoughts. Imagine you're writing a letter to God. Really, really simple. It's not complicated. It's not mumbo-jumbo. Just write down how you feel as if you're expressing it to God. And then start, as you write, start thinking about some of that stuff. Find out what's really going on inside you. Number six, simply, uh, again, just totally, hopefully dispelling that notion that this looks like a particular way. Talking and mentoring. Just talk to other people about what's going on, in, especially in relation to God. Um, mentoring. I usually have a mentor from time to time. Matt Hurst, who left last week, I met out with for six, seven weeks recently, just because... As, as funny as it might sound, kind of my prayer life just fell apart. And I didn't understand why, and I wanted to really think and engage on it. Um, and so I met with him, and we talked about it, and he helped me think about it, and he, we looked at you know, a couple of passages I might look at, and I kind of fought with it and grappled with it and really kind of worked out what's going on here. Um, and he really helped me. And, and luckily, uh, thankfully for me, kind of I've, I've got my mojo back a little bit, and I'm working my way back again. But again, it's not necessarily about doing your own. Help, have someone to help you. Um, seventh one, music. So I have a meditation prayer list, a prayer playlist even, um, which if I want to, I don't always use it, just to, it guides me. Again, it's that filling your mind thing. So I kind of, it's four stages. Uh, the songs are in the kind of red italics. 
And it's built to take me personally on a journey. So I start as a song called Still, which is all about kind of just being still. And there's a song we sometimes sing here called Waiting Here For You. And for me, I just sit there, I don't sing, I just listen to the words. And it's kind of about me getting myself in that mindset. Um, I then go into a bit where it's kind of like what I choose to believe. There's a song called Believe and then the the classic In in Christ Alone. And I just sit and listen to those words. Um, And then we come on to a bit where I've kind of called it How I Choose to Live My Life. So it's about God being glorified in my life and a song called Legacy, um, which is all about leaving how people are going to think about you at the end of your life. And then finally, I've kind of got a go back into action bit, which is one of my favorites, which is Be Thou My Vision. Point being, I'm sure Nathan touched on some of this last week, but music can be another way to meditate, but not just in a washing over way, in a thinking and listening, what's going on, listen to the words. And, and after this, we're going to do this really quickly. But that's another way, again, it doesn't have to be hard, doesn't have to be complicated, but pick some songs which you can just listen to um, to get your mind mulling over some of these things. And then last two, really quick, uh, like I said, my kind of thing I do at church at the moment is, is running that little space up in the corner, um, for prayer and service, post-served prayer even. Um, you know, after a service, if something has, has touched you in any way, don't feel a need to rush away and fill your mind with other things again immediately. You don't have to talk to anyone. Come and sit for five minutes and just think about that thing. Or come and talk with someone and come and pray with someone. Like Really simple. can take two or three minutes. Um, but you know, after a service is where you might have been filled with something. You might have thought something you hadn't thought before. Um, really, really easy. And then the very last thing... Um, if we go to the next slide, in October, knowing me, knowing you, aha, prayer and personal training. In October, this is the very last thing, in October, um, me and a few other people who kind of do this kind of stuff and have some counseling skills training, we're going to do three Saturday mornings in October, hopefully in here. We just need to work out the dates. Um, and what we're going to we're going to look at how, how you pray one another, how you listen to one another. And part of that, as you will see if you're interested, is kind of how you listen to yourself. So there are really quickly nine very, very practical ways um, of meditating. So that's kind of the close. And we finish with that last, last question that I started with. Um, as we go through life, what do we fill our minds with? So meditation, there's nothing mumbo-jumbo about it. There's nothing long. There's nothing necessarily on your own about it. It's simply about what are we filling our minds with and how is that affecting how we live our lives.